Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned at a Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham. And once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, legendary drummer, wrapping up the uh, drummer weekend that we're doing over here on Turned at a Punk, Stephen Perkins from the band uh, Jane's Addiction, but also like on, yeah, we talk about this in the show, like on, on so many Incredible records, including Mike Watt, Ball Hog, or Tugboat. One of my favorite records of all time. More on that in one a second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother, who is the show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham, and he will get the message to me. Thank you, Tristan, for all the hard work you do for us here at the show. I love you, buddy. And uh, you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Left for Damien. If you want to support the show, the best way to support the show is just by telling people you know about it. Just letting everyone know that there's this podcast where they just, you know, talk about music, uh, punk, generally punk. You can also support the show by uh, heading over to where you subscribe to this thing, normally iTunes, and rating it. And thank you to everyone that does do that. I really do appreciate it. You can also support it by heading over to patreon.com slash turned out a punk and support it by uh, seeing what we do over there. There's some footnotes and some other things over there, uh, lost episodes, etc., etc., etc. Speaking of support, this thing would not be possible to find folks fans who came afford a few years ago and said, Damien, do what you do. Just just don't do it out of your own pocket. And they helped me cover the cost of doing this thing. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate it because it does cost money to do this thing. Surprise, surprise, for a free podcast. Uh, all right. Also, oh, the band I play in, Fucked Up, will be coming to maybe your town. We're going to be coming out on tour with uh, Faith No More, and it's going to be uh, pretty exciting. I'm very excited for that. And then we're going to be going out in January for um, a, a kind of a David Comes to Life 10th anniversary tour. So check fuckedup.cc for more information about that. Also, Matador Records is going to be reissuing David Comes to Life, so you can find that record over there at Matador Records. And our buddy Scotty Karate is putting out Fucked Up's 90-minute-long You're the Horse. I'm really stoked about this record. I'm really, really proud that I got to be involved with this thing, and I'm very excited to hear it on vinyl. And you can hear it, too, by heading over to TankCrimesRecords.com and checking it out there. I'll write on to today's show. Today on the show, Stephen Perkins is here from the band Jane's Addiction. Now, uh, when Stephen wanted to come on the show, I was I was very excited, and he is definitely very passionate about his connection to punk. It speaks to the fact that this music had ripples and and massive ripples you know in, in terms of the impact that jane's addiction would have so uh yeah i'm very excited for you to hear this St- you know steven plays on um tons of records and is doing music constantly most recently he played on the gilby clark record gospel truth and jane's addiction will be playing some shows this september uh, as well in different parts of the united states you can check your local listings for that oh, actually i can Tell you, Redondo Beach, Louisville, Kentucky, and Camden, New Jersey at some uh, festivals in these places. So check your local listings for those places, if you're in those places, I guess. 
Um, this is fun. Uh, this is amazing. We didn't even get a chance to really dig into some the Porno for Pyros records, which I think I think those things are awesome. Anyway, we will talk about that in uh, spoiler part two. Uh, for now, sit back, relax, enjoy Stephen Perkins on Turn Out a Punk. Stephen, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's a pleasure to be on the show, and being on the show means talking about music, punk rock especially, and the roots of all glorious art. Well, and as I was just telling you off air, uh, like obviously, you know, like everyone in this world, I'm a, a massive fan of all these different projects you've been involved with. But I think specifically with Jane's Addiction, it's such a, you know, uh, it's such a pivotal band for bridging the two worlds we kind of talk about obsessively on this show, which is like, so that first punk explosion, and then you guys really usher in that second punk explosion in, in the early nineties. Yeah, well, absolutely. So the timeline is just a, a beautiful memory for me. Cause I'm, I'll be 54 in September. So 1985, uh, me and Navarro already had a metal band that played the Troubadour, the Roxy, the whiskey all through the early eighties. We were only 14 or 15, but we noticed if you put up flyers on the strip, you go do gigs, you, you know, you, you earn it and you might not be great or you might be, it doesn't really matter. It's about going out and doing it yourself. And we noticed musicians and we saw maybe the quality of the caliber. And sometimes it was about attitude. Sometimes it was about technique. And sometimes you had both in the band. But the strip was really ending. And everybody who had a band was getting gobbled up by Geffen and Capitol and Warner Brothers and all these major labels. Mm -hmm. So it was quite a bore and it was pasty. But there was a couple of hot shots and there were some great musicians, of course. But um, late night was this punk rock scene that had Fishbone and the Chili Peppers and X and the Minutemen that turned into Firehose and, and a handful of cool bands, TSOL. And of course, prior to that, you had the Circle Jerks and Black Flag and Fear. And then it's incredible late night after hours, gutsy, artsy um, you know, reflection of the late night LA scene was going right into the music. It was different than the strip. So anyhow, me and Navarro were just 15, 16. And um, my girlfriend at the time, her older brother was the bass player with Perry in a band called Psycom. And Psycom was deathly dark and, uh, you know, dripping with gothic molasses. A really great band, though. Yeah, absolutely. But they wanted to do something with a little more sense of humor. And what was going on in L.A. with Fishbone and Chili Peppers and even in my Minutemen Firehose, there was this funk. There was this upbeat funk. funk. It was it was major. It, you know, it wasn't minor music in a sense. A lot of major chords. It was up. So they were getting this infused, funky late night, you know, let's hop around with the, with the Chili Peppers, I think, uh, vitamin. And it was in them. So then it became this urge to do a lot of songs like Had a Dad. Idiot's Rule, Pigs and Zen, still infused with that funk and somewhat kind of like a tongue-in-cheek sense of humor with the lyrics and the poems. It wasn't until a little later we started embracing Then She Did and Ted and Three Days and telling our own story separate. But um, so what you saw at the end of the night at the Strip, they would go downtown. And what you saw downtown from midnight to 6 a.m., was this other scene. So you would have everybody mingled together. It wasn't rare to see 
Anthony and Flea, and then here comes the cats from you know Motley or 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 Faster Pussycat or GNR. There was these different camps, but we all hung out and we were looking for something to do late night. And who became the band was Jane's Addiction was the house band for these parties at the Scream, and me and Navarro still infatuated with hotshot event eventful musicianship iron maiden uh you know maybe some early thrash metal with metallica or or even slayer or venom you know and showing off our chops like of course anything that you would get out of deep purple or zeppelin and then perry and eric were obsessed with bauhaus and joy division and just coming out of psychom and and echo and and Susie and 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 they didn't have huge musical events. They just had these great stories and, and cinematic music. So there was this marriage of, of Perry and Eric who had eight, 10 years on me and Navarro and me and Navarro still obsessed with showing off a little. And, and that's kind of what was happening in LA, the post-punk thing and the metal thing was coming to an end. There needed to be a fusion and me and Dave and Perry and Eric were at this moment of fusion and these great late night parties that everyone was you know, attending, it turned into people at those parties turned into Tool and Rage and No Doubt and you know, other bands from L.A. that were, you know, Ozo Motley, uh, you know, some great bands that came out of the shows that we were playing. They were the young, you know, me and Navarro were damn young, but they were, you know, the younger, younger generation that were there to watch it happen and turn into something else. But I really think that our first and our live record at the true, you know, at the Roxy, we played only once on the strip. That was the Roxy. We had a gig at the Troubadour, but it got canceled on us because we did some funny advertising where you pay to play at the Troubadour because you had to rent the lights and rent the sound and rent the backstage, or you just didn't get it. You played without it. So like, yeah. you pay to play. So, yeah. so we put that on the flyer, they canceled us, but we only played once <laughs> on the strip and that was our recording at the Roxy, our first live record, our only live record until later. But, um, at that moment, you know, we brought in a mobile unit, which was unheard of at the time. And it was an RV equipped with recording gear. We parked it between the Rainbow and the Roxy and did an hour acoustic set and a two hour electric set and made our own live record and didn't have the need for what everything was going on in the strip to get gobbled up by a, a, a label, a, you know, basically a major that would put you in this cookie cutter machine and they have a, a photographer and a stylist and a producer and a marketing team and you become everything else that's coming out of LA. It was just nothing. There was nothing, no substance. Yeah. So we did this, our, our own record before we went to Warner's and we had better offers from capital and Geffman as far as the numbers concerned, the, the number of month, uh, you know, the money, the Warner's gave us full freedom for artwork, lyrical, styling of the 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 you know the images of the band never had anything to do with us they just wanted to show the world this broken late night band that's separate of the strip and separate of new york and separate of you know what's interesting about janes and warners they were talking and they wanted us on sire because sire had rem ramones uh, pretenders they had a better built marketing and radio team promotional team built for our type of music in a sense but we wanted to be on warner brothers and make them work for it and they had doobie brothers van morrison via you know devo van oh, devo yeah and they had some great great ass bands but they didn't have the marketing team that sire had which mm -hmm. is a college a college machine college driven radio but we wanted to break over that so 
you know, and you know, me and Dave, we could reference the same music and Perry and Eric could, and soon we all could reference each other's record collections and friends. And, and, but at the beginning of the band, we were all separate entities and had different record collections. And, you know, I grew up loving jazz drummers. Navarro grew up loving, you know, uh, guitar players from uh, you know, anywhere from a classical, you know, uh, nylon long fingernail picker, you know, to a, a metal player, the Yngwie Malmsteen. But the, some of the guys we would reference, Perry and, and Eric, didn't even have any idea. They had no idea. Oh, Electric Funeral? I'm not sure what you guys are talking about. You know, the Sabatoon. No. You know, so that was good for the band. It was good for the, the mix. So, you know, and then when punk rock, to me, hanging out with Mike Watt and getting a lesson about the germs and getting a lesson about you know, getting in the van and what it took to leave LA and bring a punk rock band across the country and the, the different types of real punk rock attitude. It, it was strained in the James Addiction early world. And, but a lot other things were as well. It was a really great uh, potpourri of, of stuff, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. And I think, I think that's the thing about that, you know, that glam metal scene that you talked about getting involved with Dave really early on you know in through doing this show i've come to realize like how much of that was kind of an outgrowth of the original punk explosion like van halen playing with early punk bands or the fact mm, that mm -hmm. like there's all these different people that wind up doing you know all these various metal bands later on but they were all playing in like early power pop or punk or, or kind of new wave bands in the very beginning well it's so true and you know when you think about what you can get your hands on as far as musicians and friends and who are they and the, and the caliber of, of musicians that they are before I met Navarro, I was usually the guy that could play more songs than anybody in my room. I, I couldn't find a guitar player, a bass player that knew all the tunes. I was obsessed. I met Navarro. We had similar, Oh, you know that I know that you can play that. I can play that. Oh, let's go learn this together. And we were like down for this, like this, you know, this partnership and crime to go find out how to play every tune from Rush to Zeppelin to, to Django Reinhardt to whatever we can get our fingers on, let's figure it out and, and put it into our arsenal. But I, you know, I think the LA scene and also what spawned from New York and of course London with the punk rock attitude. And it's not about technique though, it's fine to have it. And it's not about, um, you know, having music theory in your back pocket though, that doesn't hurt. It's about attitude. It's about having reflection of what's around you and the times. And that was great when we met Perry, because me and Navarro being 16, 17, most of the music we heard, especially music we were making, didn't have real poetry connected to it. And so I wrote the lyrics for our early metal bands, and they were pretty silly, but they got us through. Mm -hmm. But when I met, you know, Perry, and I'm reading Pigs and Zen, or I'm reading, you know, uh, Stop, and reading the tunes and reading and getting the, you know, what my, I guess, interpretation, and then getting the... the actual poets meaning and talking to him about it and going okay lyrics and that helped write the song because he wouldn't hear here's a lyric where i do verse chorus verse chorus bridge chorus out no here's something i say three times about my mom then i do this five times about my ex-girlfriend and then i talk about you know hunting and eating and gathering for like a 10 lines yeah. and then you know it's never a chorus and it's like okay yeah, so we yeah. write music we write music around this and this can now embrace the new type of uh, songwriting formula, which is just to tell a story. And then in the meantime, me and Dave were bursting to play, you know, something uh, eventful in a, in, a, in a firework somewhere. 
and Eric saying, no, keep it tame, keep it calm, do, 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 don't go anywhere. And everybody fighting against this, you know, it's like taffy pulling taffy. It was a fucking great moment, you know, so it was needed. And, and also meeting Flea and, and Anthony and meeting Slash and meeting uh, Duff and, and most of these guys were years older than me at the time. They all embraced us and they were like, you guys are fucking cool. What's next? What are you guys working on? It was competitive, but it wasn't like, no, there was room for everybody. It seemed the pool was deep enough for people to go swimming, you know? Well, it's like you and Nirvana are always said to be the bands that killed the the glam scene, you know, but it's, it's really like, I don't know, it's, it's much more interconnected than these sort of separate scenes when you really start to look at it and really start yep. to kind of examine yep. how, you yep. know, cause it's an ecosystem. Absolutely, man. The band before Pearl Jam where Andrew Wood passed away and they had a full band. It was very glamorous. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, there was a, there was a great, you know, and then they, they, they stripped it down because emotionally they had to get away from what happened, but it, you know, it had to be reborn, but you know, the, I guess the, I think about early, early Janes, if the guy had a Metallica poster and a, and a cure poster, that's a Janes fan. Mm -hmm. You know, if a guy had a, a, a poster of, of Susie and a poster of, of you know, uh, of some kind of heavy rock, you know, that it wasn't dressed up rock, you know, and there was something there, some kind of attitude. There was a motorhead and, you know, something like that. There was our fan and our very first agent who lasted many years, Mark Geiger, our, got us on the tour with Iggy, 35 shows opening for the Iggy crowd. Perfect. Mm -hmm. And then 30 shows opening for Love and Rockets. The Love and Rockets crowd, perfect. And then we did the Psychedelic Furs, and then we did X, and we never played with Aerosmith or Motley or Van Halen. We never went there. We played with these bands that really had some Echo and Peter Murphy and, you know, just fucking cool bands. The Lollapalooza, of course, was Susie and Body Count and Henry Rollins. So we just we just kept it real the whole time and never chased that 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 fraudulent you know um you dress it up and you see what people buy we were looking for real art to surround ourselves with well i and, think it's really uh, oh sorry go ahead to me chaos no no it, and it was great to see that flea and anthony and the guys in the, the fishbone cats you know norwood and fish and everybody's still doing it and they're such fucking high high powerful high caliber musicians it's like whoa look at this shit man yeah it's i, I find it interesting to like look at you know, obviously there's a very storied uh, history of Black Flag and DOA kind of building this network of tours mm -hmm. for, all, you know, like alternative bands or not alternative, but like, you know, punk bands, what have you. And then it's almost like the bands that you mentioned, you know, Fishbone, Red Hot Chili Peppers, yourselves, that wave of bands are almost like the ones that are like, okay, well, we want to take it to the next level. Like, you know, like, yeah. like, you know, like you said before, like these bands kind of hit a point where everything was kind of stagnating and there was like the glam path, but you guys are kind of, you know, building your own scene. Like, of course you're having to play with all these different bands because there's no such thing as alternative at that time. Absolutely. But you know, what's true, man, you hit the ceiling. X wasn't going to get bigger. We didn't think chili peppers or fishbone was going to get bigger. We didn't think, you know, we thought the punk, the, you know, that uh, circle jerks and flag and dead Kennedys, that was it. They, they mm -hmm. peaked. I mean, mm -hmm. it wasn't bad. It wasn't good. This is just what's happened fear got on snl and that was about the, you know that was it they're not going to see much more punk rock anywhere else so the post-punk thing it was just stirring in its own stew which was wonderful and tasty but it wasn't going to grow and i remember when x got a tune in a movie with charlie sheen about baseball 
Oh, it was. Yeah. <laughs> it was weird. Not that it didn't. It didn't belong there. But I was like, what the heck? X has got a song in a big movie. That's so weird. What the? So it was like it, that was they broke their ceiling. So we did want to break it. That's why we did go to Warner's and not Sire. And we didn't want to just kind of go sideways. We wanted to go up. And, um, you know, and I really feel that that was um, the quest of spreading weirdness around the world more than the, the quest of money. It was just like, tell the world how fucking weird we are and show them that the lyrics and the musicianship can fucking be, you know, uh, fine-tuned and edit the fat and get to the, you know, get, I always thought in the best that Jane's Addiction could be was like the Iggy Pop meets you know, rush you know what i mean these guys can play <laughs> yeah and the dude's fucking just saying something on his heart and rolling around in the fucking dirt because he means it and uh, i want to be your dog is 18 words 15 words total but i mean it gets you there and so you know had a dad has got that same effect and when perry told me how to dad was about god and it wasn't about his dad and i was like oh you know 17 going how to dad you know mm. big and strong turn around now he's gone it's about god oh it's fucking brilliant then I can play it differently. Then I'm a drummer that has something to, to grab onto. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? That's what punk rock meant to me was the lyrics drove you. The scene was hungry and everything is just like, ah, gobble, gobble it up, you know, and just fucking, and, you know, even if it has to be regurgitated or replicated or recited night after night on tour, like you said, you go take it on tour you fucking mean it every night and it isn't, and you're not a fraud, you know? And, and that's, I mean, James addiction never had a great work ethic or porno because we've got issues, but the issues when we do get on stage, at least they get fried out in front of people and they're, they're exciting shows. We don't yeah. do a thousand, we do a hundred and that's what you get, but it's because the friendships, you know, it has to be, we can't just take the money and run. We have to do it for the right reason because we love to play in front of people. And, but anyhow, the, the punk rock attitude of making your own shirts and, and silk screening on the corner and giving, you know, and, and doing your own thing and making your own record at the Roxy and you know, all that stuff is so important to the sound of the music and the way the music was, uh, you know, from, from, first rehearsal to the last time we've played it whatever two years ago on stage it always has to have that do it from this point for a real for the real reason i mean if you know coming down the mountain i mean you know it's a thousand times we've played it so what does it mean <laughs> you know i mean I, you know it's a fucking voodoo when you hear that bass line there's voodoo it's a fucking voodoo bass line you're like holy shit this dude writes bass lines like i've never heard they're so simple but they're so fucking catchy and like, whoa, man, that's like some stirring shit beneath the earth. Yeah. And so, yeah, let's not fake it, man. Let's fucking be right there. And then really just fucking hand them, hand them the reason we wrote it. Let's keep that in mind. Well, it, yeah. It's almost like that, you know, Darby crash, authenticity, poetry, inner suffering mixed with that kind of like, you know, rock and roll commitment to showmanship, like Van Halen yeah, putting yeah, on a yeah. show for the audience. That's absolutely true. Good point. If you know, if you can marry the the two great LA bands like that and come up with Jane's Addiction, I'd be fucking loving it. I mean, <laughs> I just thought that you know the Doors, even though they're 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 drenched with the blues and more than that, they're fucking crystal clear, you know, influential, visionary band with lyrics meets music, where it all seems like it was united from birth. I mean, they were meant to be together. 
-hmm. Jane's Addiction has moments like that. Um, I think my favorite moment for Jane's is a song then she did where it seems like the doors where the music and the lyrics were just mended at, you know, and it's the Lord of the Rings in the fucking middle earth. <laughs> you know what I mean? There it is. And that's how it's like, Whoa, we didn't have to work on that song. It just became that song. And then, and so those are the great, that's when you pass the punk rock moment when they're like, we are now, I mean, in my opinion, that moment, it feels like we've, you know, melted the metals together and we've now become this new sword of different types of metals you know it's like together we are stronger than separate and you know you know that in a band i mean you hear the strength of unity and and, and chemistry so that's what i guess what i'm saying the chemistry got so really heated up for that song for me maybe for navarro another song you know you never know mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. yeah. do you remember the first time you ever heard the word punk or came across it yeah, I mean, it was in a, in a graphics type of sense, because me being 54 coming up in the 70s, I would see older kids notebooks. Mm -hmm. So if I'm in seventh grade, I would see the notebooks of 10th and 9th, you know, 9th, 10th, 11th graders. So you did start to see these graphics before you even heard the music, the Sex Pistols, punk rock, anarchy, you know, even fucking the, the fashion of of simple things that they were taking from you know england even a little bit from new york which was a little more leather you know motorcycle boy but with the english you know version of the safety pins and the ripped up clothes and you started to see this appear in the word punk kind of um become this graphic stamp of something that was not tame never pedestrian un un unmatchable in the sense you couldn't put it in a category these are just images and feelings i had as a 12 year old or 10 year old mm -hmm. you know what i mean it's like what the fuck it was never written cleanly it was always splattered and then you started seeing the clashes you know jackets were always you know actually done with a spray paint and and maybe a silk screen or or something and, and so i started to see the image before i heard the sound and then to discover the pistols and the ramones and even the clash, it didn't seem as dangerous as I expected. Yeah. It, it seemed very authentic with attitude and uh, didn't really understand how the lyrics from the clash differed from the pistols, et cetera, because I didn't know yet. I didn't go and read it. I didn't explore the, the history of who was writing the lyrics and why and where they came from. And, you know, understanding the WW2 ruined England and they hadn't recovered in the 70s already. I was like, come on. You're fucking kidding me, you know? So yeah, you start to see that volcano of pressure go into the music. And I, I then to explore what I thought was the most incredible musicians in punk rock were Fear and Bad Brains. And those are the two bands to me that were like, as at least a 16, 17 year old, like, how do you fucking play that good? And that... Um, crystal that pure that never purified but never sterilized but almost sterilized to the point where it's like there's nothing but the music and the way you play it that's all that's left that's all you got yeah and i never saw footage of bad brains until later i did see them but then you see footage of the early shit you're like what the fuck is going on and this shit fear would do and then to find out flea did some fear stuff and i got to speak with him about it and those two bands for me were just like that's execution right there 
Yeah. And that's, that's, that's what, that was exciting. And then the influence of the Jamaican and the, and the ska and the dub and everything that brains was doing that was never fraudulent. Never. It was always authentic. It was never a fucking band faking it. And James would take that. Our, our attitude was like the song Ted just admitted, which starts off with the dub reggae and ends up with the frantic violent, violent. That was our bad brains. Like want to be like in me, in my <laughs> opinion, you know, yeah. let's get dub. Let's give him a grabbing, a grabbing a hooky fucking riff and then go fucking nuts at the end. And, and those, you know, but to me, if I put a fear or a brains record on, it still does what it did to me back in the day. And I mean, same with the, the, the early, what I thought the, I needed to go to, to buy, wasn't sure what was good or bad. I just knew the names of punk rock bands and then you explore it, you know? And I guess that's also like record covers. You start looking at record covers and you don't even know what the music is. And that was cool. That was kind of whatever, I guess, a, a, a sense of mystery that you don't even know what you're getting except for the artwork, you know? Yeah. It's funny you brought up fear and bad brains. Cause like, you know, they're to me, obviously two of the best bands of the era, but such a study in contrast where like the bad brains are, are very much like organically finding this stuff and, and building their sound. And then, you know, when Keith Morris was on the show, he talks about how fear was like very much a studied approach to making this music. Like these were older yeah, guys that yeah. could play. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Good point. Well, that's important, I guess, for me, to know this because listening to it it does seem not like um, a seed to the to the grown blossom tree mm -hmm. but in a sense it is the seed is bad brains of just organic um you know fucking leave it just you know every recording to me is great but i love the the roi the roar sessions oh recording. absolutely yeah that's the one that just does it for me more and more than any other and when they got a little bit shiny and polished, it wasn't a dislike and the tempos were slower. It was just new. It was different, mm -hmm. you know, and Black Dots is still fucking fun because it's like, whoa, that's where that shit was when it fucking was born. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Fucking no, it... tempos and shit and punchy. But, you know, but yeah, but with the, with the fear stuff, it was like this, this execution of geometry with like, you know, uh, it, it, like the precision and the, and the, and the, the sense of humor, but also the seriousness of the lyrics, always fucking cutting right to the bone immediately, every word, but always with a fucking funny little like eh, <laughs> tweak to it. Yeah, I mean, it's not unbelievably exciting um, to hear that kind of music come off a fucking record. Well, I mean, I think those two bands really reflect kind of the the range in punk rock, where you have, you know, the fears singing like these songs that are just like kind of comic comedically over the top nihilistic whereas the bad brains are very much like empowerment youth empowerment pma you know they they yeah, coined this yeah. whole thing and it's like this is where punk is where you get these two kind of like competing ideologies of nihilism for the sake of nihilism and positivity above all else kind of coming head on together and creating a scene well that's true and you know the jamaican um you know i guess thread when you think about Peter Tosh and his lyrics, get up, stand up. And it was mm -hmm. about fight back. And then you think about Marley, it was about loving and forgiving. Mm -hmm. And, but they were in the same band. So it's kind of the same thing. You know, even you got these people and these sounds that are doing different things and, and wanting different outcomes. But in the, in the meantime, they're, they're using their instrument as the weapon, you know, but it, it, it's a great, it's a great experience to put on punk rock for someone for the, who's never heard fear or, or, um, or from the brains and just be like, Oh, I mean, it's, it's rare, but you find, 
And they just fucking go, what is this fucking shit? It's alive. It's a fucking, it's a, it's like, you know, it's a shark. Yeah. And then that's what I, th- I think is so great about the attitude that you mentioned, like that positive empowerment that the brain spoke of. And then of course the, to feel like let's have a war and to understand those lyrics that I, to, to actually like, I live in a great safe place. My parents, you know, stayed together for 50 years, never divorced. The family's life is good. Let's have a war. Fuck yeah. <laughs> I'm fucking down. I get it, man. I mean, let's just get rid of everybody, and I'm I'm fucking down with that. And so it did. It brought out great feelings, and it made me pursue better. Um, I guess a better promise to myself on how to be a drummer, because if you think about you know what Earl and, and Spit, uh, they, what they what they left on the records were like, uh, can you match that? No, well, fuck you. <laughs> and i love that i mean you can't match it it's just a fucking wow you know are you yeah. playing for the song are you playing for your ego are you playing for drum sounds man you're no you listen to these two fucking guys that's how you do it that's how you take a hold of a song drive it like a car and also be musical very musical it's also like weirdly they're both uncoverable bands you know like because you can never capture what yeah, those two exactly. bands had that's so true it's, you don't hear that very often but, yeah like yeah. The, it's, it's so unique like the vocals and like the obviously the musicianships on the next level with both of them but they're like no one's ever going to be able to fear fear better than fear or or bad brains better than the bad brains or bad brains yeah i guess that would be a badass experience though to have them play each other's music <laughs> that would be wild <laughs> that's all that's the only thing we can think of guys you guys do the fear record you do the roy sessions and let's go see what happens but yeah, I appreciate the 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 fact that you know I'm in my 50s, so they got to be in their 60s, and I, you fucking know they're the same people that gave you that music. They haven't changed, man. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what I love about musicianship. I mean, even an athlete, you're gonna have to hang up your your glove and your mitt and your cleats one day. But you know, musicians don't have to hang it up. Yeah, we can slow the tempos or drop the key, but we don't have to hang it up, and we can keep rolling. And I just love that these punkers or early fucking skaters or early fucking graffiti artists, they're still with us. And they're just like, that, you know, who kind of, who can match that attitude? I mean, come on. But it's, it's the only, actually, but that being said, the lead singer and the drummer are the two positions in the band where there actually is like a physical toll, like there would be on an athlete. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So as soon as your health suffers, your performance suffers, if you're a singer or a drummer, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously if your fingers are hurt and you can't guitar, the way you used to, but you can still plug in and get the volume and use the same distortion pedal. Yeah. And so, you know, it's like the volume and the tone doesn't change if you feel like shit, but as a drummer or a singer, if you don't got it, that's noticeable. So my quest and I I'm on it like a motherfucker now that I'm like, you know, 54 around the corner and the, the, the North America is lifting out of this fog and we're going to get back to work. I just want to be a fucking extreme drummer where I can think of something and play it but not get in the way of the song. But if I want to try something, I want to be able to fucking pull it off and not let the ankles or the wrists or the, or the, you know, the neck or the back, whatever might, you know, interfere. Yeah. And so this, I have this great athletic uh, endurance stamina quest in me right now. And it's been health. It's, it's healthy for me. And I can't wait to share it with the world this summer when Jane starts playing again in September. 
it's it's interesting. I I watched this interview with you, and you brought up this point about um how as you get older as a drummer, you learn how to use your skills better. Like you learn where to apply them. I should say, like you, I think I, I don't want to misquote you, but you talked about you learn where to put the speed and where to put these different elements that you pick up. And I find it, you know, I'm obviously. <laughs> well, not obviously. I'm also a massive fan of pro wrestling. And I find oh, when, cool. you talk to, when you talk to these pro wrestlers, especially the older guys, they talk about the fact that as you get older as a pro wrestler, you get better because you learn to do more by doing less. And I think that with singers and drummers, mm -hmm. that's also something where as you get better at your craft, you learn how to apply these things to greater effect. Like you said. Yeah. I mean, you know, as far as songwriting, you never want to lo lose that naive um courageous you know break ground just for the sake of it and see what what, what happens you know mm -hmm. why you always want to think i do the day before jackson pollock threw paint he was using a brush like everybody else <laughs> yeah. so there was a moment he just fucking went crazy through it and then everything went that direction forever so i'm always trying to throw the paint what did i do yesterday I worked my whole life to get as good as I did yesterday. What's next? How do I break the, how do I throw the paint? And not just use a brush like everyone else. What's going to make me different, mm -hmm. but I don't want to, I don't want to be, you know, sticking out like a sore thumb. I'm here to serve the tune. Like Ringo told you, you know, make the song sound good. But there's like this, this quest I have as a, as a drummer for my posture, my body, my neck. So right now for the last, you know, 14 months, like everybody else, you can do whatever you want with your time, but you have a lot of it. So I spent a lot of time getting to know my rudiments and bouncing off the snare drum and learning how to bounce off a surface in this very, um, I guess, tipping my hat in a romantic way to the great drummers that use the same rudiments that I do. Mm. Elvin Jones and Buddy Rich and Gene Krupa and, and Ian Pace and Bonham. It's the same book, the rudiment book. So I started playing the snare drum and the rudiments going, these are the same fucking rudiments that Steve Gadd did and Jeff Picaro. And so I got into this weird, like spiritual, like surfing wave. I'm on the wave with the, you know, with the greats, you know, this is how they practice. But now I'm thinking I have a mirror set up and I'm looking at my body and I'm thinking, I want to sit up straight. I want my shoulders. I don't want higher right shoulder, lower left shoulder while I play. So I'm starting to look at my posture so this last 13, 14 months has been a real wake up for um, awareness of, of stick control, uh, posture. Um, the creative side is bursting, but I'm happy I had it. I never would have taken the look at my posture or the bouncing of the stick. I just would be gigging. Yeah. So it hasn't interfered. It's only increased my love of drumming. It hasn't really slowed or, or, or staggered or gone sideways as far as the the creative side, it's gone up because there's just a new understanding of what my body is now 54 and what it's going to do for the next 50 years until I'm 50, 104. I'm still fucking playing drums. Oh, I'm happy I looked at my posture. God damn it. Uh, uh, it's fun. I, just going back to what you said something earlier where you're talking about, you know, the, the fact that there's fishbone yourselves and, and red hot chili peppers and sort of this fun scene, like a lot of major chords and a lot more. Yeah joyous and it, it it i find it fascinating like having conversations with people that were around los angeles around that time that talk about the violence in the punk scene and just how how heavy shit had gotten in punk and it's almost like this new scene that you guys were ushering in is like a reaction to that like very much in the same way with dc you have minor threat become fugazi at a certain point because the violence becomes yeah. too much yeah absolutely 
Well, that's true. I mean, you know, the suicidal tendency story and some of the shit that was going on, I'm sure there was a lot of uh, external and internal violence happening that wasn't, you know, even part of the, the, the beauty of what the music made you feel, but it was a piece of it. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it definitely has, when you think about the chilies and fishbone, there's just this great love, uh, love affair of like jumping on each other and dancing and hopping and into in together uh, sequence and motion, you know, <laughs> and, but, you know, Jerry Garcia said it, and I've always talked about this. They flew into Woodstock in 67 or whatever, 69, and said, my God, you haven't seen this many people in one place unless it's a battlefield or unless the fucking Germans are showing off their army. When do you see this many people? It's a fucking music festival, and it gets people together to dance. To They have common interests, man. They want to get loose and mm-hmm. get away and mm-hmm. get back. And I think that was uh, what I got out of the, the late night L.A. punk scene was that a lot of, especially with Mike Watt and Flea and Anthony and, and, and the Cats and Fishbone, you know, I'm still friends with these guys. Yeah. They were open heart, open arms, loving, interested in what we had to offer artistically, never fucking shut us out. Me and Navarro, we were the young ones and we, we felt I mean, you know, Navarro ended up in the Chili's and Flea ended up with Flea. Uh, Flea ended up with Jane's in 97. You know, we, we played on each other's records. And it's just a really uh, great, in a sense, like you said, a, a flashback from the, the violence. And of course, there was too much drugs and people lost friends and musicians and bands had, you know, cracked up. But that goes on, you know, in, in if you're a dentist or yeah. if you're a fucking yep. school teacher, I mean, it happens. It's not mm-hmm. rock and roll. It's not downtown LA, though it helped. But, you know, so there was this great love affair between band members and, and other bands. Now, Jane's one of our first rehearsal places that was kind of fancy in our idea, because most of them were, were pretty low key. We shared with Guns N' Roses, Fishbone, Bullet Boys, and Jane's Addiction. And everybody put their gear in the corner. And the band, you know, Bullet Boys would get Monday and Wednesday. James would get Tuesday and Thursday and whatever. And we switched that up. Everyone had gigs Friday and Saturday. He blowed back in Sunday. And we all, it was Lillian Way, Santa Monica and Vine. So there was four bands from different places, different labels, and different fans and different record collections. And we all shared the same rehearsal place and fucking, hey, what's up? Nice to see you. Never a fucking issue because we didn't, we weren't competing for fans, man. Mm-hmm. We had to different scene but it was the you know a good scene of musicians and right around the corner was an army surplus place so we'd all go there for our boots and our fucking you know dog collar spikes funny shit and you know i and that was the attitude that it was fun to be a peacock and show off colors and and as long as you had a great state if you were good on stage you know (laughs) otherwise you know that we don't need to speak about why you're why you dressing up but I think that the thing with punk rock, when I got a chance to hang out a little bit with John Doe and Exene and more GJ Bonebreak, the drummer, of course, drummers hang, but <laughs> that's, you know, but hanging out with Exene and John, that was a little foreign to me and a little bit with Billy Zoom. He came and went, but their punk rock had this, I mean, I fucking thought they were the coolest punk band because there was just nothing polished but it was just so fucking sawdust and jeans but it was still punk rock but you know they taught me a lot because i got to play with them a few times and they're like 
just get to the fucking point. Don't do things four times. You know, why do a part four times? Because that's what you think the formula is. Do it three times. Why do this for that? Why do you just go punk rock? Shave something, change something. Do it. Everybody does it this way. Do it one more. Do it one less. Fucking throw a wrench in it. And that's, I mean, they were just teaching me like, you know, just simple punk rock attitude that was like in songwriting, you know, don't do this four times. Let's just do it three times, man. People will be like, whoa, that changed quick. Yeah. Fuck yeah. We don't need four of those. Dance, 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 it was just cool to talk to someone that was 10, 15 years older that was never showing off. Like me and Dave knew every inch of uh, Iron Maiden or uh, Deep Purple record where there were solos forever. Yeah, like I, I just, I, it's amazing you bring up X there too because I kind of think they're, they're like one of the bands. And John talked about this when he was on the show and I've seen him talk about it in documentaries. They're one of the bands that, that you know, fled the punk scene and were... yeah. Yeah. yeah kind of driven out by the violence it seems like and well it doesn't even seem he says and so you know they're it seems like actively looking for what's next at the same guy time that you guys are all showing up and kind of being like well this is going to be next well i was interesting because perry to me you know uh making jewelry and writing poems and and dressing in a, in a more uh you know, fantastic fantasy world than anything heavy rock would be giving you on Sunset Strip. You know, mm-hmm. it was this, um, you know, before the late, late, you know, before the sun came up, those are the, those are the kind of looks that you would see. And that's what I think embracing not only the clothes and the, and the look, but the feeling that when you put on a suit, the way you walk, when you put on bathing suit, the way you are, you know, you walk different when you dress different. And there was something cool about embracing these new colors and these new feelings of like fabric and bracelets and things in your hair and all these, you know, embrace all these new, I guess, in a sense, ways to stimulate, um, you know, creativity, but never emulate, you know, the, what you've heard and seen, you know, never reference that great drum beat from John Bonham and then try to do it. Just be something fresh and new. And, you know, I, learning that, like uh, listening to an X record, it always sounded fresh and new. Listening to a Minutemen record, you know, it always sounded like they were onto something and then they'd stop and they would never even repeat it. And the next song was different sounding and a completely different type of attitude. And so there was such a great awareness as a drummer. I was in fucking crazy about jazz drummers as a kid, but I couldn't find anybody that played saxophone or piano even. <laughs> hey, everybody played, you know, bass, Ampeg bass, Marshall stack guitar. And so I had to learn, you know, which I love, but I had to learn drumming in the more macho, you know, aggressive volume than less sensitivity using brushes and using a bright bass and a piano and exploring more quiet you know, um, dynamics up and down. So once I had more muscle, I'd still wanted to swing like Mitch Mitchell or Bill Ward from Sabbath or, or, you know, Ringo or Charlie, just uh, you're swinging back there, but you, you're also playing with, with a bunch of punch. So after a while, not playing jazz, I'm just playing rock with a jazz feel. I started to gobble up you know, East Indian tabla and, and, and Ravi Shankar sitar, duets and uh, you know african records with babatundi alatunji you know tribal 45 drums of passion 
or Fela Kuti, you know, and, mm-hmm. and start gathering up these new rhythms. Even Henry was great. Rollins was turning me on. To, I already knew about the go-go scene from DC, but Henry gave me some trouble funk records and some interesting DC remixes that totally stimulated my drum ideas. So I started gobbling up all this shit that was like, cool. I love the ACDC. I love Van Halen. Great. I love Echo. I love Susie. But what would Baba Tunji Alatunji do with this guitar riff? <laughs> yeah. And I started really imprinting and using the blueprint of everything that I could rhythmically that was maybe out of place, out of left field, didn't belong. And then impregnating those drum ideas. And Perry and Dave and Eric were completely open arms and welcome to that. And I think the whole attitude now in the Gang of Four or, or Susie. Or, or uh, even fucking early Adam and the Ants and Bow Wow Wow, those those tribal rhythms, those African, you know, Burundi beat, I just fucking foam up for. I love it. And it's just, you know, the Cure was using it a little bit on the pornography record. So I, I was, that was a great, you know, everyone was open arms to all that shit. I don't know if you'd find that in a rock, straight up, you know, rock and roll scene, you know? I was going to ask, what about a band like Savage Republic? Did you guys have any interaction with them? Because they seem like obviously doing something sonically different than you're doing and a lot more close, I guess, to Psycom. But like, once again, trying to incorporate other influences than just that, you know, as you said, macho rock and roll thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I definitely recall, I don't think we ever did shows with, but I mean, there was this this quest to find some unusual you know, noisemakers making noise with your toys. And I remember when porno started and the flaming lips came out of Oklahoma, it was so refreshing to find this very, uh, you know, in a sense, there's a lot of, it's a rainbow of, of sound and, 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 you know, color coming out of a band, but still weird, gutsy, you know, the psychedelic journey. And I really thought the, Lips, they still do, but those early lips moments were like unbelievably. They enlightened me on what is possible. Hopefully, that's what Jane's or Porno did to other people. Mm-hmm. But I felt that with the new, the you know, the, when lips first showed up, and it, it was really a, a jazz moment, you know, when things were blending and changing. I, another band that I kind of think, like you know, obviously once again sonically very different, but also like this really free approach and and certainly a live show and a big influence on the Flaming Lips, like the Butthole Surfers. Oh God, yeah, yeah. We did many, 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 many nights with the Surfers, and the truth is, their quest, like Sonic Youth, for exploration and 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 what the impression and the ripple effect of those vibrations due to people in their show i mean it's just it's a remarkable experience it's a sweat tent it's a it's a journey it's and and it's a real never uh replicated night after night even though if you're you know maybe just didn't understand what was happening it might sound exactly the same as it did the night before but you know they're on some quest and they're looking to it's almost like going into a cave in the pitch black and carving art. They go in there and they see something. They don't even need light. So they just go in and then if you go in tomorrow and then light what they wrote, it's, it's a beautiful picture. It's like they go into the dark. And I mean, I love that about drums because we enter a silent room and we pierce the silence. It's violent. It's not brushing. You could use mallets and brushes, but most drumming 
is piercing the silence with a stick and a symbol or a head or a petal. And you have to choose where you're going to break the silence and then break it again over and over to make a rhythm. And you have to leave silence. And then in the room is just being beaten up with your vibration. Now you come in with a, a violin or a guitar, or acoustic guitar, and you can blend into the room and not vibrate the room and not, not violently attack it. The silent uh, visual waves that a drum makes, the, the static the little zigzag. Mm-hmm. So I always think, what's the drummer? He's got to take this violent, uh, confident approach to, to laying down a beat. Come in there. And just fucking lay it down over and over to the where it feels like it makes sense to people. You know, why? Why do you do? What are you doing? It's such a weird instrument. And any instrument really just goes out there and just floats away. There's nothing you can grab onto. Even a recording is magnetic or even now digital zeros and ones. But the the drum itself or the voice is just this authentic expression of breaking the silence. And it's almost like when you put a nail in a wall and the first time it goes in just perfect and you hang that picture and it's not crooked and it's the right height. Or you put a nail on the wall and it didn't go in right. It's crooked and you got to pull it out. Or you put the fucking picture up, it's too high. You got to pull the hole out. There's three holes back there. That's a mess. Drumming is about hitting it just once and just, bam, it's in. And then doing that 10,000 times in one song. It's perfectly in at the perfect time, perfect height. But that, but doom, but damn, you're just putting in nails on a wall. And that wall is silence. That wall is a canvas of, canvas of, of, of quietness. And you're puncturing it with these is nails and it's a beat and it's a pattern and then it's a frenzied emotional moment drum fill whatever a reaction so i always think of the drummer has this great opportunity but responsibility to gobble up the the airwaves with these these violent punctures you know and how do you do it what makes you the guy from queen roger taylor sound different from the guy from you know uh the cure you know who's doing this or that so i just love hearing and and knowing what drummers do in the punk rock scene and i you know 80s rock and roll drummers in the strip and around the country to me tommy lee was like the the man on top of the mountain in 85 but so many people just wanted to be meat and potatoes like tommy Mm -hmm. and he was just the guy that laid it down if you wanted to play that kind of beat then tommy was the man and then, you know, but after Jane's, whatever Jane's did influence or me or if it wasn't me, but there were so many great drummers with, uh, you had, you know, Tim from Primus, Matt from Soundgarden, you know, Pearl Jam had many of the drummers, Dave Aberzies and other cats, you know, Sean Kenny, a fucking Dave Grohl, you know, uh, Jimmy from the Pumpkins, uh, you know, Danny from Tool. Brad from Rage, Adrian from you know, No Doubt, and then into you know Blink One Eighty Two with Mr. Barker. I mean, the drummers I think were really hitting the ceiling after Tommy Lee, but after James, it was a really great expo- explosion of expression with drumming and different drummers sounding differently. And I love that. If, if I don't know if James was that influence, but I love knowing that there was a moment after James where drums became more. Uh, in, in a sense, expressive and adventurous. 
you know oh yeah there, well there's that's you know it's not just you know obviously the drumming but it's also just everything like there's that moment in like 1991 where Lollapalooza is happening you've got you know yourselves Gibby's playing the shotgun on the stage <laughs> like it, it really feels like that was the moment where all this cool crazy shit that had been happening underground was just brought to the masses and that Absolutely. effect we're still living through like there's people that are still being affected by all that that brought with it no absolutely and that was the moment of course when alternatives became something that they can you know put a stamp on and sell now it was a category it yeah. was something but it was a great moment to see seven bands touring across the fucking country from here to jersey and back and 30,000 people just going and knowing every word of a butthole surfer song. It's fucking <laughs> amazing. Yeah, no, definitely a, a very incredible time. Um, I, I've kept you for a long time, and I could talk to you forever. At some point in the future, would you come back for a part two? That's a 100% yes. But before you go, can I ask you a couple more questions? Of course. Well, um, One thing I got to talk to you about is infectious grooves, because to me, that's almost like the LA supergroup coming together. You've got wasted youth, you've got Excel, you've got obviously suicidal tendencies and Jane's addiction yeah. all, all kind of coming together. Did it feel like, like, did you know all those guys prior to like, obviously you, I guess you did, but like, were those bands interacting with each other or is this really where it all kind of comes together? Well, it's a great story. First of all, the suicidal guys did at least 20 shows with Jane's in 1990. So I became tight with Robert and Mike. Mm-hmm. They asked me to come and play on their new record, Infectious Grooves, a separate than suicidal, more metal, funk, rap infusion. I played three or four songs, played percussion on the whole record, hung out for about, you know, six, ten nights, and then fucking went back on Jane's Addiction Tour. The last show in Hawaii, who shows up at Rob and Mike, I get off stage, my heart is broken. They're like, Infectious Grooves put out the record, Ozzy's on a song called Therapy. Ozzy and Sharon invited Infectious to do 40 shows on the No More Tears tour. I'm like, I just broke up with Jane's Addiction 45 seconds ago. This is great news. I'm in. <laughs> I just joined Jane's. I fucking broke up with Jane's Addiction and just joined Infectious in the same afternoon. So they saved me from my, my heartbreaking and me just going into the spiral, whatever it would have been. We don't know. But I was back on tour three weeks later with Robert and Mike, which were, you know, now years or two in my life. And the other cats were at the session when I did the drumming, you know, take six months earlier. So I had friends, but they weren't much of more than that of just like doing the session and knowing their history. Mm -hmm. Then we got on a tour bus and went on tour and did the, the, you know, the Aussie tour, which had, uh, you know, Mike Inez, who's now the bass player for Allison Chains. He was the bass player for Aussie. Of course, Zach Wilde was on guitar and he was young and just starting. And this great drummer that passed away, Randy Castillo, was was Ozzy's drummer. So Ozzy had a great band. I'm still friends with you know the cats, minus, of course, rest in peace, Randy. But so that was the the infectious. And then, you know, we got some unusual offers, and they were managed by Q Prime, who does the chili peppers and Metallica and Suicidal. And Coupon gets a lot of offers on their desk. So they were offered Encino Man with Polly Shore. <laughs> and so we did it. And, you know, I don't, I kind of regretted it during the moment. But then, you know, halfway through, I was having a great time. And now looking back, I'm happy I did it. But it was like, you know, unusual after Jane's to be on a set with, with Infectious and Polly Shore and friends. But 
you know, Paulie's a good guy and it would turn out to be a, a blast altogether. But so, but the infectious experience was great because I also opening for Ozzy and making new friends and also meeting new young metal people that were separate of the Janes. Uh, you know, everything I grew up with, with Janes. These are some new cats. I'm all hanging out with Zach Wild from Ozzy and all the cats that are coming to see Ozzy on a nightly basis. And then later on, joining up with Tommy Lee's band, Methods of Mayhem, we toured with Pantera and the Deftones and Slipknot. And Those I got tours to must up. have been insane, like even compared to I Jane's Addiction. Well, yeah, the, the, it was nuts. And it was cool yeah. to be able to get to know a new generation of great musicians, authentic fucking do-it-yourselfers, and really hungry guys that want to do it nightly like I did and do. And so it was cool because it wasn't, you know, Anthony and... And then, you know, Mike Watt and, and these cats that I've been working with and knowing and knowing their quality and, and their good brothers. But it was this new group of cats, you know, and it was cool. So, um, but the infectious, you know, to me was this wonderful ahead of its time hybrid of, of rap and metal and also really great ass players that, that, that cared about you know, like what me and Dave did at the beginning of James, showing off a little bit, but never getting in the way of the song. But, you know, showing that you did your fucking homework and you got technique. I love that. You know, if it doesn't hurt anything. I, <laughs> you know? I, I can't imagine a more study and contrast to go from working with, you know, someone like Mike Watt to go into working with, uh, you know, on a tour like the one you're describing with Methods of Mayhem. Like, you know, yeah, Mike Watt is, is the saltiest of the salt earth. I don't mean that in a salty way. I mean, like, he is the salt no, of the absolutely. earth human being. Absolutely. And that's what's great about music and also young and old and anybody who comes from anywhere and any fucking color. We're here to make music. We're students of music. We're students of it. We don't play it. We're learning it. We don't master it, you know. It's a fucking Jeff Beck is the best, and the rest of us are just fucking, you know, nothing. <laughs> I mean, that's that. It's just fuck. But it's incredible because I, I really do believe, you know, the I was a shy kid, but with music and drumming, I can talk all night with, with people. Uh, you know, I was, um, I you know, hyper in the sense that I didn't know what to do with myself. And the drums give me that outlet, and it's pure. And, you know, I think that's really, I think the attitude of punk rock is if you're lucky enough to find an instrument that does that for you. And yeah, sure. It's nothing wrong with, you know, studying music and music theory and, and learning about the greats and, and the history of it. But it is about being yourself. And I love being, you know, that, that's, I think, the best thing about music is getting to know the people because their music speaks to you. You never got to meet them. Mm. You never really got to hang out with these guys, but you know them through the music because you feel it's a personal relationship with musicians more than art, novels, and movies. This is personal relationship, and it's 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 really you know um, you know in the bedroom in your headphones in your car. It's very personal. It's when you love your song and your in your band. So it's like uh, yeah, uh, that's the punk rock you know that mike watt likes to do because when he's on stage he's a beast oh yeah when he's in the studio he's this melodic maestro yeah. and he's like oh perk perk let me show you the baseline right here it's beautiful I'm like 
oh wow mike that's cool yeah it's a little thing about the lyrics you know about the basically they've killed all the clams in san pedro park so there's no clams <laughs> so i mean these lyrics are about the clam we got a clam shortage i'm like that's a sad and i'm like oh my god it's fucking sad <laughs> i mean it's like mike he's, he's thorough yeah and you know and and so that's i i get a chance to hang out with Wyatt and take that and take it to heart and he takes every word he says and he means it and he can you can hold him to it and then of course and then get to hang out with the cats and slipknot and fucking acid in the back of the bus and go whoa <laughs> these are fucking nuts man banging on shit and flipping out and, and you know but they don't fuck they're not faking it they're, they're doing it so yeah i I'm, I'm honored to have this, um, these opportunities. And I, you know, I'll, if you fail to prepare, prepare to fail because you don't want to go out and take an opportunity if you're not ready. So I'm, I'm trying to stay ready and stay well equipped as a musician, as an athletic musician and, and someone who can gather music that sometimes isn't particularly my favorite, but take something out of it and put it in my arsenal. So my drumming, can can morph into something new constantly and that's a quest so if i don't like a hip-hop record maybe i should put it on and play to it for two weeks and see what it does in my drumming yeah i'm not a fan of this hip this this new generation of like you know minimal hi-hat in this uh, lyric and that's the whole song i mean maybe i should put it on and play and try to play to it for a week and see what it does to my drumming maybe it's gonna fucking you know, wow, now I'm playing really spacious. I've never thought of it this way, you know. Who knows? So I'm trying to be open-minded and never never let the ego or the um, the curiosity go away. Because well, you, you wind up playing on, like, in addition to Jane's Addiction, in addition to Porno for Pyros, in addition to all these bands that you're actually in, you also wind up playing on some of the most significant records of of that era that that for like you know the rage against the machine record the no yeah. doubt record the nine inch nails record and that's right thank you but like but to me like the one record that to me is perhaps greater than all of them certainly on a personal level is the ball hog tugboat record with yeah it is it's it is a genius piece and his his um heart and his like you know quest to cover all bases and, and anybody, if he has an idea, he sees it through and the whole lineup on that, and that record. And that record really started a bunch of, I think, ideas about people collaborating in a rock world separate of how they did before that. You know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm crazy, but I think he opened a door for these beautiful, well, you know, in a sense, they make sense, but also that's an odd collaboration, but you know, they do make sense. But I think, the highlight for rec- the record for me is Carla singing San Pedro, you know, the, the driving up from Pedro. And, but I, I was, I was honored to be on that, you know? Yeah. I think Carla is the uh, unheralded VIP of that record. Like her vocals make so many songs. It's unbelievable. And, you know, she sang on three days with James and it didn't make mm-hmm. the cut, whatever that means. It was a great night. She came by and sang with Perry. That's awesome. She, yeah. Like yeah. I, my, actually my, my, um, my middle child's grade one teacher plays on the record too. Oh, what? Rhonda, R- Rhonda yeah. Rindone plays bass clarinet. <laughs> That's cool, dude. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and then when they toured with Grohl and fucking and, and Eddie Vedder. 
yeah, a huge show for me. That was one of the <laughs> one of the shows that got me into like got me into this music. And like that's that's a show that's a tour that really you know puts Foo Fighters out there. Like yeah, what a yeah. that record is the is almost the beginning of the next chapter of alternative music to me. I agree, man. It was an amazing piece of work. And the fucking record cover is so, I mean, it's just so oh. like, why? It's like, Perk, what do you think about these guys wrestling? I'm like, oh, that's, that's wonderful, Mike. I really, I really like it. Well, uh, thank well, you for doing this with me. And let's do number two as soon as we can. Absolutely. I love talking. I love talking with you. It was a lot of fun. This has been incredible. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Okay, man. Anytime. Have a good night. Thank you, Stephen, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, he had to run. So he will be back for part two at some point in the future. Uh, speaking of being in the future, next uh, later on this week, uh, my good friends, uh, some of my best friends in the world, uh, Hallucination will be putting out a new record. Uh, the guys that were formerly known as A Tribe Called Red, and I'm talking about Bear Witness and Tim Toolman. And I've wanted to do this conversation with them for a very long time. And we finally get to sit down and talk next week on the show. I'm, I'm excited for everyone to hear this one. This is a really fun conversation. And I'm even more excited for you to hear this record. His, the, the new record is, is something really special. And yeah, that is it for today's episode. Remember, as always, black lives matter. The lives of indigenous people matter. We need to protect trans kids and we need to help trans people protect themselves. We need to stop hate and violence towards Asian people and just people of different faiths because this shit's ridiculous. This is not political. This is not a political issue. This is not. It's like like getting a vaccine. This isn't a fucking political issue. This is, these are just like factual things. This is just human rights issues. So uh, go out, get yourself informed. Do what you need to do, volunteer time, volunteer uh, money to causes that you believe in. Uh, just, you know, just educate yourself on what's going on in the world and get get a vaccine. Get a vaccine because, my gosh, I'm going to get to travel this week and I'm very excited to do so. And I think it would be even better if we were all vaccinated because, you know what, it's, it's going to happen. We're all going to get there eventually. Um, and I think that's it for the uh, no no what, what am i talking about i'm cutting myself off way early got way more shit to do in this end promo bit uh remember you can always sign your organ donor cards because by the time they get those organs you don't need that shit just get it out of your body um do something creative for yourself helps make your own culture start a band start a fanzine start a record label hint hint uh but yeah just go go and do something um Try meditating, maybe. Who knows? Maybe it'll work. And that's it. Stay safe. I'll see you now on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>